welcome to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Uh, this week, I'm really happy that Angie Kim is joining us. Uh, her book, Miracle Creek, is the book that you should read this summer. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, just, <laughs> right. I like um, hearing that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it kind of is. Um, okay, cool. But all right, Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alex. I love that intro. That's great. <laughs> yeah, just as a, uh, some shopkeeping for those listening, we're part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, uh, and this episode with Angie Kim and all other episodes are available at www.alexdolan.com. That's www.alexdolan.com. Um, Angie, I'm happy you can join, especially because you're doing a ton of publicity for your book. So I'm like happy that you you made time for our our little old podcast network. Um, oh, completely. Yeah, no, I love podcasts. I think you've <laughs> probably heard me say that before. I'm like a total podcast junkie, and I just I love discovering new podcasts. I'm so happy to be here. Do you have a favorite podcast that you're listening to? Hmm. I don't usually, well, I don't know. No, not really a favorite podcast at the moment. I just sort of do like during basketball season, it's all basketball uh, podcasts, for example. Okay. <laughs> and it's just sort of whatever is on. And um, lately I've been listening to a lot of um, podcasts that are bookish. Um, so I love like Book Riot's podcasts. Um, they have so many and a lot of the sort of NPR book related podcasts. Um, yeah, lots of different ones. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about... And recaps and TV recap podcasts. I'm really, really into those. So I think I'm still catching up on all the... Um, on all of the, you know, Game of Thrones recap podcasts for this last season. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So here's a, a weird aside to get us started. So okay. I was, um, I, I was uh, traveling over in the Middle East at one point and it was in a country where they blocked most entertainment. So there was like, you couldn't really get what we would consider to be normal movies on TV or you couldn't get Netflix or whatever. So I was oh. just like, and it wasn't really a, an area where there was much to do. So I was like in my hotel trying to figure out stuff to do. And I stumbled across <laughs> one of the sites they didn't block was the funny or die site. And there's a oh, recap, uh, <laughs> recap uh, show there called gay of Thrones. Oh, and, it's, no. and, what, and the guy who's the host, of it, like he's now on the, if you remember, they rebooted queer eye. On Netflix, uh-huh. yeah, he's yeah. one of the guys on that. But basically, he okay. is sort of plays an, an exaggerated version of himself as a hairdresser who like talks about each episode through his own prism. Okay, <laughs> and, and it's was it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And it's also like I don't watch Game of Thrones, so oh, but no, I know exactly I know exactly what's happened because of Gay of Thrones. Right. <laughs> so now you can't even uh, have the pleasure of like marathon watching the whole thing because you already know it's happened. Because I know exactly hey, I know send, exactly what's happened. Please, and I, will you please send it to me? Because I really want to watch. I, wanna... I, I will totally. Yeah, I will totally share it with you. Yeah, yeah. no, that's awesome. <laughs> Okay, great. Okay. Um, let's talk about your book. Miracle oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Enough, enough about TV, TV I'd, rather, I'd yeah. rather talk about Game of Thrones, <laughs> but hey. 
Um, well, you're, you're totally okay. in for a treat, by the way. <laughs> okay, no, I can't wait. That sounds awesome. Um, I was genuinely uh, blown away by the book. Um, and I, um, especially like, this is your debut book. And um, I don't normally ask rudimentary questions of authors, <laughs> like, how long did it take you to put this together? But like, this is your debut book. And it's the it is a book for people that are listening to it. If you haven't read this book, uh, this is a book that you're going to want to talk about with people because it like, it talks for me, like it, it spoke to the human condition. Um, and I, I can't really talk about it in, in a whole lot of detail because I don't want to give away anything. But right. It's kind of like, it feels like it's a book that's about consequences. Um, Definitely. And in yeah. a way that I don't see other books kind of explore that. Um, and kind of like about the collective role that we all play and in, in things that happen. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, I get asked a lot about just the number, sheer number of POV um, characters that are in the novel because it's written from seven different characters' perspectives and sort of each chapter is its own is one character's take on um, what's happened and the consequences and also what led to the um, tragedy that occurs in the beginning of the novel, which is an explosion and fire that kills people at, a, at, at an experimental medical facility. But um, it's interesting that you say that because I was just last night on maybe it was two nights ago um talking in the bookstore about sort of it's almost like a funnel um of all these different characters and their lives and how those sort of like came together into this focal point that caused this tragedy in the middle um and then sort of it and then there's like a reverse funnel on the bottom side if you can sort of you know visualize that of just the cascading effects of this tragedy on lots of different people's lives. So it's sort of, you know, this one event and sort of that all the threads that happened conspired to sort of bring this event to a focal point and cause this explosion and then sort of how it cascades out again. So um, I was thinking about it, it in that way. So it's interesting to me that you're saying that now because it's the first time I've sort of thought about it again since I described it in that way in that particular bookstore. No, that makes sense. And for just for people listening, so well, let's drill down some concrete things because I always, sure. when, I, when, I hear, when I hear descriptions of books of like, it's about the complex interaction of many people and you're just like, oh, what? Yeah. about though? Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is yeah. Like, and I'm, sure. I'm speaking to the people listening, like this is a really, really exciting book with a unique premise that immediately grabbed me um, and just to like give people something concrete. Can you just set up the book and what the story is about? Sure. Uh, so the book is called Miracle Creek and it's a, we describe it sort of, it's, it, it, people have described it in reviews and stuff as like genre twisting, genre bending. I think that just means that people don't really know exactly how to pigeonhole it. So we've been calling it sort of a literary courtroom drama and it's about a Korean immigrant family and a young single mother who's on trial for murdering her eight-year-old son who's on the autism spectrum. Um, so that's sort of it in a nutshell. And what happens is um, Miracle Creek refers to a fictional town in rural Virginia where the Yu family, uh, which is a Korean immigrant family, resides. 
And they settled there to start a business called Miracle Submarine, which is an experimental medical chamber that um, people enter into and then um, the chamber is pressurized and then they breathe in pure oxygen. And in the beginning of the novel, um, a group of four patients and their caregivers are sealed in and someone we think deliberately sets fire by the oxygen tanks and um, that causes an uncontrollable fire, an explosion, and people are killed. And then we fast forward a year, um, and then we go through the four days of the murder trial, and that's the bulk of the novel. So in one sense, the novel is a sort of who done it, how done it, why done it, into <laughs> who you know who set the fire and how and why and how do all the events you know how did all the characters and the events come together um, such that this tragedy happened. And um, but I'm hoping that it's uh, the trial is almost a an excuse or a Trojan horse, if you will. And it's sort of an excuse for us to d take a deep dive into the lives of these people, the Korean immigrant community, as well as the community of parents of special uh, needs children and um, children with chronic uh, illnesses and disabilities and how these characters share sort of this sense of isolation and um, and almost a desperation to connect with other people and to belong again um, and connect. So, yeah. How did you find out about um, this kind of medical treatment of, of using pressurized oxygen? Yes, I did it. I did it with one of my kids. So one of my kids, I have, I have three boys and um, one of them about what, like 13, 14 years ago, um, he was born um, uh, deaf in one ear. And also when he was like three or four developed um, celiac disease and ulcerative colitis and the ulcerative colitis, especially there really aren't weren't at that time. I don't know if there really are now because um, he sort of um, became better. Um, but it, the ulcerative colitis was something that was just not um, something that we could treat using sort of the standard treatments um, that worked for my son. So, you know, he was little, he was in pain, he was throwing up. And and so when that happens to one of your kids, I think you just sort of become desperate. And even if you're a standard conventional medicine type of person, as my husband and I are and were, um, you sort of become desperate and you want to try whatever it might work. And so one of my neighbors at that time said um, she had heard about this hyperbaric oxygen therapy or HBOT chamber um, that was a group chamber that was opening near our house about 10 minutes away when we live outside DC. And so, and she forwarded me some emails with um, studies that were being done um, using HBOT as a treatment for ulcerative colitis. And so um, I talked about it with um, his parent, uh, with his um, um, doctors, and they sort of reluctantly agreed, reluctantly because it was still an experimental treatment. And um, 
and we went to take a look at it and my son was four at the time and he sort of pointed to it and he was like look that looks like a submarine because um it it does it looks like a mini submarine sort of like and we had just watched the beatles yellow submarine so it looks <laughs> sort of just like that except that it was blue instead of yellow so we called it our blue submarine and um, we signed up for these double dives. So each dive, quote unquote, is an hour long session. And, you know, you go in there and you're sealed inside with three other patients and their families. And um, we did this for 40 sessions over twice a day um, over the course of the summer. And, um, and it was just this very intense experience because you're sealed inside, it's dark, there's a confessional feel to it, and there's nothing to do inside except talk to each other because you can't bring in electronics or anything because they're so cautious about you know the presence of pure oxygen. So you can't um, bring flammable materials inside or anything like that. And so the kids are watching like DVDs of Sesame Street and Barney and things like that um, with these DVD screens that are set up outside the portals. But for the adults who are in there, we really did not want to watch, you know, our 4,000th episode of Barney. So we would <laughs> talk to each other about our lives and sort of compare and contrast all the things that we had done and, you know, and talk about the kids and things like that and really bond. And it was this very intense experience. And um, I wasn't a writer at that time, but later, like 10 years later, when I started, maybe it was like eight years later, what, whatever it was, when I started um, writing and I wanted to write a novel and tackle that, I just thought of this as sort of the perfect setting because it was such a crucible in so many ways. Um, it was, you know, like physically you're sealed in there and emotionally there's all these emotions that are very intense that are brewing because there's jealousy and there's envy and then there's also like intense gratitude for people like me who previously had sort of thought you know I'm so unfortunate to have this child who is so sick and I have to watch him be in pain and I feel so badly for my child and things like that and then all of a sudden you see kids who are in wheelchairs and who can't talk and who can't, who need feeding tubes. And, you know, so there's this, like all this weird swirling of emotions and, and there's also this fear of like, what if something, you know, it's claustrophobic and you sort of think you're sealed in and you can't really get out right away. And what if something were to happen inside? And, you know, so there's all that too. So there's a lot of drama that you could mine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like the treatments helped? So, I mean, we did. Um, so my son did outgrow the ulcerative colitis by the end of that summer, but we were also, you know, um, doing lots and lots of other treatments and other special diets, and he was celiac, and, you know, it takes some time for the gluten to get out of the system and things. So, you know, it's hard to know. Um, I sometimes like joke that I'm I'm very into multiverses and parallel parallel universes and I always joke like I wish I could sort of have a parallel time machine or something like you know <laughs> parallel universe travel machine or something so that I could see like what 
you know, one of the parallel universe me's did, um, you know, that didn't involve the submarine treatments and, you know, see how it worked out. But obviously we don't have that, sadly. Um, <laughs> yet. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yet. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, um, and, but I, I do think that it helped and, um, you know, but I will have the disclaimer that we don't know for sure, right? Because there are so many other factors that were involved. But at the same time, I do think, I'm pretty confident that actually helped with his hearing. So HBOT at that time was not indicated for hearing loss of any kind. But towards the end of the summer, what we did was we, um, uh, we, uh, because he was born deaf in one ear, we always did like very frequent hearing tests just to make sure that his one good ear is still okay. And um, and when we did that towards the end of the summer, he had gained some hearing in his previously deaf ear. And we were so surprised by that because, you know, like, why would that be? And, um, but we did think that it must be related to the HBOT because how else could you explain that unless it was like faulty testing before or something like that. And then come to find out, fast forward, when I was doing research for this novel um, much more recently and looking up HBOT, I saw that one of the more recent uses of HBOT, it's still not completely approved yet, but it's in clinical trials now, is the use of HBOT for sudden deafness, which is a form of hearing loss. So I'm thinking that it must be related, which is pretty exciting. Huh. I, I yeah. wonder if it's like a matter of, I wonder if it's equalizing the pressure on the eardrum or doing something like that too. I think what it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be healing like the uh, the neurons and the um, the auditory nerve and things like that. You know, that's okay, sort yeah. of the theory with HBOT is that because of the pressurization, the oxygen can and the and the in, and the purity of the oxygen um, that the greater concentration of oxygen can sort of infiltrate the blood and the tissues and things and the hard to reach places to allow healing to occur in um, in like your brain and things like that. And it's used in hospitals like right now for, you know, things like carbon monoxide um, poisoning and, um, gangrene and also and burns like to allow for faster healing of and and faster regrowth of tissues and yeah. stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. My my one experience with oxygen related healing was mm -hmm. when I first moved to San Francisco, which was the year uh -huh. two thousand. So it was the middle of the dot com bubble, and like oh, every yeah. extravagance was being poured <laughs> into San Francisco. Yes. And at the time, California was very different from where I grew up, which was Boston. And there was oh, a club okay. called I want to say it was called O2. It's oh, wow. it's folded, but it literally like the idea was you'd go in, you'd select oxygen, and then like a some sort of additive that they would put into it as well and then you would literally <laughs> sit around the perimeter of a room and they would put an ox like oxygen tubes up your nose and you would kind of like sit around and have cocktails you're kidding i i'm this is this was a real thing <laughs> and i was sitting there and it and part of it was like i'd heard about like the just the sensation of getting 
pure oxygen yeah. in you and how, how that felt right. different. So I just wanted to feel it. And I just felt like a big douchebag. Did <laughs> <laughs> did you? I mean, I mean, did it do anything? Like, did you feel different in any no, way other not, than not like feeling all. like a douchebag? I, I felt was, like I was an intensive yeah. care with a bunch of other hipsters. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and having cocktails, it just felt like the stupidest thing ever. And having cocktails, that's just a perfect <laughs> thing. Like, um. Um, but you know, like celebrities and athletes have these HBOT chambers in their homes and you can sleep in them. Like they have like home use ones. It, it sort of like looks uh, like a little, yeah, it's, okay. it looks almost like a cough. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> they probably don't market it that way. Yes. Yeah, sleep in the coffin. Um, but it, it, I yeah, think a lot of people go, listen to this show have their own coffins at home. So you, you guys right, probably, yeah. you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So they probably would like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. so as a child, you moved over mm -hmm. from Seoul to the United States, right? means that you are probably one of the people that understood what Gangnam Style was about when it came out. Well, I, I don't think so. I, I think that's a much newer and more hipper thing than well, I least, you, you, know. you probably knew what Gangnam even was. The Gangnam? Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's, it's the district in oh, How do you actually in, pronounce yeah. it? It's Gangnam, yeah. Gangnam? Oh, okay. Gangnam, yeah, Kangnam. like Gangnam. Okay, I guess right. the Americanized way would be Gangnam or something like that. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> yeah, but it's a district, yeah, in uh, in Seoul. It's like um, the swanky in, district in Seoul. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It would be like, I don't know, like Soho or something. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, it's like walking down yeah. Fifth Avenue or something. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, right. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and that, yeah. that song doesn't get brought up enough, so I just needed to bring it up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that we're, song we're is like now like ten years old or something. <laughs> <laughs> we are so not cool. <laughs> well, okay, you know what? I shouldn't speak for you. I'll I'll speak for myself. I'm so not cool. <laughs> well, you're talking to somebody who just admitted that he had oxygen tubes up his nose recreationally. Right, that's true, and yeah. drank. Right, so I'm, uh, clearly. <laughs> I've gone down yeah. a couple notches um, yeah. <laughs> over the course of this interview. The whole dot com um, thing. Oh my goodness, that's are so you, ridiculous. You were, uh, you were, and possibly are still an attorney. Are you still an attorney? No, I'm not. Um, okay. I am absolutely not. I I really didn't like it. Um, I, I so I was an attorney. I was a I was a litigator, and um, I loved being in the courtroom and I loved like objecting and I loved trying to trap witnesses and, you know, doing the charts. Like I, in my novel, um, in the courtroom scenes, I do have this really badass litigator, Shannon, who loves using charts to trap witnesses and to admitting things and making her points and things like that. And so I love doing stuff like that too. But um, unfortunately, uh, I hated everything outside, the, like other than being in the courtroom, and right. uh, and also, unfortunately, that's like ninety five percent of a lawyer's job um, is actually not being in the courtroom and doing all the preparations and fighting with other people outside the courtroom, which I really did not like at all, and I just thought it sucked. And so, I I think I was a lawyer for like less than ten years. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so I am no longer. I, what? That's a good decade, though. It's a healthy yeah. chunk of time. 
Yeah, it was a good chunk of time, and then um, and then after that, I went to went into management consulting, and I was actually an entrepreneur in the dot com era. So I came to Sand Hill Road um, outside the Bay Area, in the Bay Area, rather many, many, many times um, to beg people for money. Um, <laughs> so I did all of that sort of stuff. And then I was a stay-at-home mom, and I didn't start writing until 2000, about two, yeah, two, 2010, I think. Yeah, so like nine years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you were many, you many were different also, careers. You were also an editor at the Harvard Law Review. Yes. So do, yes, did you live in, in the Boston area at the time? Yeah. So you, so the Harvard Law Review is a student-run. Um, uh, journal. And so, yeah, so I, I went to, that's where I went to law school. So I did live in the, in Cambridge. I lived um, in between Harvard and Porter Squares. I did too. I lived on the, on the corner of Mass Ave and do you remember Linnean Street? Or do you, do you remember um, where Hollywood Video Express was? Yes, I totally do. Yes. I, I lived right on that corner. There's a big. That's really, that's like across the street from, um, oh, there was this Chinese restaurant that I really liked. Uh, and that, that there was, was like Chang Show. Yes, Chang Show. Exactly. Chang Show had awesome food, yeah. Oh, awesome food, yeah. yeah. We love that place. Although it was a little too expensive for us. Um, <laughs> it's a, it <laughs> because is, we were it students. It was pricey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty pricey. Yeah, it really was. Um, and but yeah, that no, star, yeah, and that star market in Porter Square store market and then there was the judy jetson hair salon that was right across the street oh yeah i never went to yeah yeah i yeah but i knew i knew of it you knew of it okay got it got it yeah and then there was that really greasy um pizza and oh what is it called um a little bit like a little bit closer to like three aces or something like that yeah they made a great parmesan sub yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> really which is, is something that is oddly like hard to come by in California. Yeah. Oh, that's really too bad. I yeah. really, I love those. Yeah, those are so good. And it was just the greasiest place. And they like prided themselves on being rude to the customers. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, so I had a different experience, and it might be because I'm part uh, Italian American, uh, and I would go in, okay. and they would be almost too friendly to me really they would, they, there were several times when i first started going where um they'd be like sit down i'll take care of you <laughs> before i even got a chance to order and to cook mm. me up they would give me like something they thought was great like an experimental slice of pizza so like i'd get like broccoli pizza with alfredo sauce and i'd have to eat it because yeah and it's it's also free food right so also free food and i was like and most of the time i didn't really want it but they were being so nice about it that i was like and i just was this weird thing where it's like yeah don't worry about it take you know sit down i'll take care of you Right, 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 right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, or maybe, maybe they had a little crush on you. Maybe. Uh, maybe. You know? yeah. yeah. I yeah. never thought of it like that. But yeah, yeah. I think so. That. Yeah, they probably yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask is like, you've been doing a ton of publicity and there's been a lot of really, um, there's been a lot of really great things that have been happening in kind of the campaign of this book launch. 
what is the most exciting one for you? Ah, oh, the most exciting. Um, I think probably, I don't know, there's, there's been a lot of fun stuff. So, um, can I just, can I do like three different mediums Absolutely. or media? Okay. So on the radio podcast, you know, um, front, um, sort of that kind of audio, whatever, audio recording, um, it was, um, and this was before my book came out. So I think this was probably the first big thing that happened to my book was um, getting to do an interview um, on NPR's All Things Considered with Ari Shapiro That's, about the book. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty up there because I got to, because, you know, they're in DC, which is where I am. And so I got to go in there and I got to sort of do it in person and meet Ari and the crew in person. It was just, this magical experience and uh and Ari Shapiro is just this interviewer who makes you feel like you're great friends you're long you know old friends and you're just like talking to each other about you know and catching up on life or something like that you know so it was just this really really wonderful amazing experience and I sort of came out of there and I called my team of publicists and agents and everybody. And I just sort of like screamed out loud in my car. <laughs> so it was like, this is just the most amazing thing that's happened. So that was really, really cool. And then um, on the TV front, I just had, I just uh, was woken up the other day by my husband who was like, your book is on TV. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're just delusional. Go away. Let me sleep. And, um, and he paused it like on DVR so I could see. And it was, um, my book was in this huge poster of my book was on Good Morning America as a Good Morning America summer hot read or something like that. So that was really, really cool. So you and didn't then, know the Good Morning America thing was happening until it was no, broadcast? No, 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 I had That's no idea. That's really interesting. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. All these things are so interesting, <laughs> like what gets told to you and what doesn't. And then the final thing was just, seeing uh, the New York Times book review um, reviewed my book and it ran on Mother's Day and um, it was and my name was on the cover and it was there was just something special about it because you know like New York Times book review is this sort of mythical thing that you know writers like revere and so it, it so that was very cool. I never thought about this as a potential Mother's Day book until this moment. But yeah, there are a lot of, it does really kind of explore mother-daughter relationships a lot or mother-son it really, relationships. Yeah, yeah, no, it really, really does. But also sort of the dark side of mothering, I think, because yes. a lot of the um, characters in this novel sort of talk about um, talk about motherhood and um, sort of the their uh, true, honest feelings, which aren't always you know, bright and happy um, right, <laughs> to right. about motherhood. And um, so I actually, I really love that a lot of my interviews and things like that have really covered this sort of myth of the good mother and trying to dispel that myth and destroy it and stuff like that. So that's been really cool to me to see. Yeah, oh, and then I, can I say one, can I say one other thing that's been yes, really, really cool that I, yes. this is probably actually the, coolest moment like for me was um, I was recently at this really cool event um, called Wordplay Festival. It's a new um, festival 
and it was in Minneapolis. Um, and it's just, I mean, just the authors who were there were amazing. So I got to meet Stephen King, which was really cool, and Amy Tan, and take pictures with them and stuff. So that was cool. But by far the coolest thing, and I think this actually gets my vote for the coolest thing like ever for for my book, book-related stuff, is um, I was on my event there was a conversation with Scott Turow, who is just such, like, I admire him and his work so much. And, um, and the, our moderator was this lawyer who sort of said, okay, let's, uh, you know, we're going to, having fun with it. He was like, you know, so give us your opening statement. So I gave my little spiel about what Miracle Creek is about. And he turned to Scott and Scott Trow said, um, I just want to talk about Angie and sort of proceeded for the next like three minutes to talk about my book and tell the audience what it's about, realizing that like, you know, they were all there to see him, not me. Nobody knew who I was. And just that generosity in that moment of just telling them about me and my book and telling them that he loved it and why he loved it and all this. It was just so generous. It like, and I was just sitting there with the stupidest grin on my face and blinking really rapidly, you know, like you do when you're trying not to cry. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, I did, and it was just so amazing. And then towards the end, when the moderator asked for closing statements, and I knew I was going to do this, I sort of talked about how much Scott and his work meant to me in so many ways, like in a personal way, too, because his book 1L, which was his memoir about his time at, in Harvard Law School, made me actually sort of want to go to Harvard Law School. And so I did, which is where I met my husband and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I sort of talked about all these things and just, you know, how generous he is and all that kind of stuff. And and the audience was, you know, they, we were all clapping for Scott. And he just sort of like reached over and grabbed my hand and sort of pulled it over to his chest, to his heart. And I just thought, I just, even thinking about it just now, just makes me tear up. And it, it was just the coolest moment. It was amazing. That is awesome. Uh, and also when I, cool? when I hear uh, about Stephen King, Amy Tan, and Scott Turow, it makes me think that these, they're all members of the Rock Bottom Remainders, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Did, did yeah. They, and I got the band to, play? Yes, they played and I, we got to go and we got to hang out with the band beforehand. And yeah, it was really, really fun. And they were actually good. Well, they've like, been playing really, They have, but you know, you sort of think, oh, come on, like, they're not going to be good. But you don't realize that like, you know, there are a lot of um, members of the band who um, are professional musicians or, you know, or were professional musicians and um, like Dave Barry apparently is, um, who's a member of the band, apparently has perfect pitch and, you know, was like a professional musician for a while or something like that. So they're really, really good. And they're so fun too. Like Amy Catan came out in this dominatrix outfit all leather <laughs> nice. like a leather whip and she was whipping um Stephen king <laughs> it was hilarious i i so i've never met amy tan but i and i'm almost kind of like so the the weird thing is uh, so we we have the same agency 
Um, oh, okay, cool. So, but I don't know if, like, if I met her, if it would just be like a weird, goofy thing to mention or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I always think that, like, I'm always trying to think of, okay, how can I, when I meet like famous, you know, authors or whatever, can I say like, oh yes, we share the same blah blah, and um, and after I posted my picture with Stephen King, my UK. Po- editor like messaged me and she was like did you tell him that you have the same editor and I was like no I come like first of all I I forgot in the moment because I was just like all you know a flutter but at the same time I was like even if I had remembered I don't know that I would be like oh yes Mr. King um we have the same UK editor like I you know like what yeah yeah exactly right like what what is he gonna do with that oh, okay that's interesting like what <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> um so funny all right as we're winding down i want to take a quick break and remind everybody we've been talking to angie kim the author of miracle creek which you should definitely go out and get if you haven't already um and and talk about it afterwards this is a book you're gonna want to talk about um this is Thrill Seekers Radio, and I'm Alex Dolan. This is we are part of Authors on the Air, and this is a trademark, copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network LLC. Um, again, we're talking to Angie Kim. The book is Miracle Creek. Uh, as we wind down, if there are people that wanted to find out more about about you and the book, um, other than going to their favorite bookstore, where, where should they go? Angie? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying if, if people wanted to find out more about you or the book, uh, where should they go? Oh, I'm sorry. I mis- totally misheard. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, they should go to angiekimbooks.com, which is my website, and that has links to everything. Um, I'm on Twitter on Angie Kim Writer, um, although I still don't really understand Twitter, so I'm, I don't really, I'm not very active on Twitter. And um, <laughs> on Instagram, I'm on Angie Kim A-S-K, Angie Kim Ask, which are my initials. Ah, what does the S stand for? Oh, it's um, Suyun. It's Suyun? my Korean name. Yeah, ah, it's my okay. it's my birth name. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Um, Angie, it's been great talking to you. And I like, I really, really love this book. And I like, I just like the fact that you're like, I also love the fact that you're, it's, you're a good story about, you know, a new writer coming on the scene and like being able to actually launch. And so I think it's a, it's also a nice story for, for a lot of writers who listen to this show too. And it's a good, it's a good thing to hear that like in, in this industry where, like it's hard to break through there are still right. examples of you know if you right. put together something that's great people will want to read it um yeah yeah and also like that you don't have to be sort of this young you know nothing against young people <laughs> obviously <laughs> or um or people with mfas but that you don't necessarily need that like that you can you know i was um I was 50 the week my book came out. I turned 50. And so I think it's sort of an example of, you know, you can sort of do what you want and sort of you can hone your craft. Um, and I didn't start writing until in, I was in my 40s. So that you, can, that you can do this, you know, writing thing and publishing a novel and all that kind of stuff 
without having those connections that, you know, being a young MFA in writing type of person, you know, gets you. I didn't do like residencies or anything like that. And it's still possible. So, yeah. All right, great. Um, all right, again, everyone go out, read Miracle Creek. Uh, Angie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and congratulations on the book launch. Thank you so much. <laughs>